I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, 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 Ty Roxon here. Back with another episode. And today's episode is really about dealing with the consequence of success. I say consequence because it's interesting what happens when you achieve a certain level of um, success. You know, sometimes you get to a ceiling and then you are stuck. You don't know what to do. What do you do when you get to that level? I talk about all that with Kelsey Ramsden. Kelsey and I talk about the up and down trajectory of what life is, but we also talked about what we learned from our near-death experiences and how that really impacted the rest of our lives. Hope you get a lot of lessons from her because she's founded and run diverse businesses. She's a multimillionaire and she's done this on several continents. She's great stages from TEDx to LSE to GE to any big stage you can think of. It's one of my favorite episodes and I really hope it inspires you all to commit to action today. All right. Enjoy the episode. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn. How to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's guest is Kelsey Ramsden and we are talking about surviving your own success today. Kelsey Ramsden is someone who has been named one of the top entrepreneurs in Canada. She's someone who's spoken across several stages. She's someone who has, has had three kids call her mom. One man caller, his wife, she's beat cancer. She's a rare mix of no BS and empathy. She's also street smart and she prefers the truth to the convenient. And so we are definitely in for a treat today because we're going to go on a very interesting ride of just hardcore truths, but also some interesting insight into the mind and the world of the truly successful in the world. Welcome to the show. Hey, happy <laughs> to be here. Happy to have you. And, um, you know, as someone who, you know, has built multi-billion, multi-million dollar businesses, both offline and online, you've been named Canada's top female entrepreneur, uh, for two years running. And, you know, you have the hardest job in the world as a mom and you've been a husband, you beat cancer. I'm curious, as a kid, young Kelsey, did you see all this coming? Oh man, no, like I didn't plan on being a mom for sure. That wasn't a plan. Um, I guess I just, I hadn't considered it. It wasn't a thing I considered. 
I just okay. was going along about my life. Uh, I always knew I would start a business. I was, I, I think, like two things. One, I just started doing things young. You know, I think my first business was I we blocked off the street we lived on and swept it with a broom and then um, put a barricade up so when people came home from work, I would charge them in order to drive on their clean street that I had provided for them. Like bizarre things like that. So I always knew I would do some form of business on my own. And that, you know, in conjunction with mostly I got fired from every job I had when I was young. I knew I wasn't a very good employee. Um, but, you know, what? I think the opposite is really true because I was a terrible student. Not, you know, not for like lack of capacity, just for lack of interest. I never really saw how it applied. I didn't like this idea of someone else judging me based on how good I was at regurgitating what they told me. It just, I don't know. So I... Uh, I always thought I had potential. I just never really lived up to it for a, for a long time. So then I started feeding into this whole underdog story and, um, you know, what we think about, we bring about. So I spent a, a lot of years being quite mediocre, quite honestly. Mm. And then I love about what you do. You said it's in your bio uh, when I was on your website. You said you're a real business person um, and you're a regular person who happens to have taken the talents that you have and the opportunities you've been given and you converted them into a few wildly successful businesses. So when I'm asking you about your, your early life, it's interesting to, to hear that because you're saying you, you weren't necessarily good at school, not necessarily employable. So when did you realize that you had some of those talents and how did you figure out how to turn those talents into those wildly successful businesses? Yeah. You know what? It's funny because, um, so I, I barely graduated high school and then, uh, I, I applied to university and, and I realized, you know what, someone, there's some person letting people into university that's a human being. It's like, you know, the part of it is checking boxes, but then there's a person with probably a stamp who reviews these things and says, yeah, they're the person. So I thought, what, why wouldn't I get in front of that person and plead my case? Like all good things or someone that's a human. Yeah. Why don't I see if I can talk to a human? So I drove uh, about five hours and then took a ferry for two and drove another one and got to the university that I was hoping to get into. And um, I talked my way in. And I remember thinking, I, I left there and I was like, oh my gosh, I just fleeced those people. I fooled them. This is amazing, you know? And I was so excited. And then there was this reality hit that, wait a minute maybe what I'm good at isn't the thing I'm applying for. Why am I trying to torture myself by going through school for another four years? And with something I already know I hate and I'm not tremendously good at. When I just proved to myself the thing I'm really good at is connecting with humans. Um, but as it turns out, you know, I was whatever I was, 17, 18, and it was important to me to please my parents. And so that, you know, I wanted to get a degree and, and I knew it was important in some way, shape or form. I didn't really realize how important. So I went and did the degree. It took me five years. I hated it. I did terribly. Uh, I went on and off academic probation. You may not know what that is. I'm probably a lot no, of I do. I do. <laughs> do you? Okay. Yeah. We have commonality. Yeah. Um, for the people who, li who's li who are listening, who, are, who have never experienced the joy of uh, academic <laughs> probation, it means you're failing more than you're succeeding and the university says, uh, you know, we'll take your tuition, but yeah, if you don't no. fuck up, you're out, right? No, so the reason why I know is because my, um, my roommate, uh, I remember my first year, kept going into it and we were worried that we were going to lose our roommate 
And yeah. he's like, I'm on academic probation. We're like, wait, what? What? He's like, yeah, I got the 1.0 GPA. I've got to figure out how to get the 2. <laughs> so it kept happening. And I was like, okay, I, we, what do you need? Let us help. Yeah, um, totally. And see, so the thing for me that was interesting, though, is I kept going off and on it. So I'd have like a terrible semester and then I'd have like a straight A semester because I needed to stay at school because it was way more fun than having a job. And uh, so then I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, this school thing actually is pretty straightforward. If you just focus your energy and attention on what it is they want you to say and you just say that back to them, then you've got this thing knocked. So I finished undergrad and... um, and I went out to the world for a while and, and worked uh, in various countries. And and then I went back to do my MBA. But because of my terrible grades, um, I applied to every MBA school in Canada. And the first envelope I got back, the like, no, thank you, but thanks for your $250 application fee, was from the worst MBA school up here. And I was like, oh, my God, this, wow. this is going to turn out very well. And then, long story short, uh, I got 11 other skinny envelopes, and there was one envelope yet to come from the best MBA school in the country. And uh, a week before school was supposed to start, I got a fat envelope. And I was like, oh my gosh, they've made a mistake. This is amazing. I have to wire transfer this money like immediately before they figure it out. And so I got into the best MBA school in Canada and uh, later found out I, I met the woman who admitted me funnily enough she's like oh I remember your application I said what's that and she said it was different than every other application there was nothing else like it and in fact when I walked into the room I saw it on the top of the note pile but there was this drawing on the front and I picked it up and read it and I said to the people you should let this girl in uh because I think she'll do something interesting wow and And uh, so you know the point of that story for me and in direct response to your question is like did you expect to be at this place in some way in my heart yeah i always knew i'd end up somewhere near the top you know because i work really hard and i have heart and ambition and um and i can connect with people but honestly like a lot of it's just been a bit of luck right you're in the right place at the right time with all the right skills to walk through the open door goodness yeah man i love your story so much because it's you know listen to you obviously at this point you're 50 plus millionaire entrepreneur and you i've done okay yeah yeah (laughs) yes yes you have but you know i i hear the things that you did you know you you built relationships ahead of yourself you know whether it's you talking um you went to school you didn't wait until you were at a place where you needed to sit you know to get a certain relationship you apply to all those 11 you know, plus schools and even the worst of the best. And what, what ended up happening was the best actually took you. And then, you know, you just made a plan and then you paved your way. I mean, whether you figured out a pattern with school, you just continue to, to stick through that. And for those listening, I, you know, I just want you to understand that, you know, a lot of what Kelsey did here was just take action. And it didn't necessarily yeah. matter what her grades were. It didn't necessarily matter um, what, what people considered her success. You know, she took the shot. You know, and whenever she she got the opportunity, she she showed up, right? <laughs> and yeah, then, well, you yeah. know what? This this is the thing, Tyler. So a lot of people, you, the person who counts them out is them. Exactly. You know exactly, yeah. And it's such a shame. Like, it, admittedly, logically, if 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 I had gone to you know uh, some consultant and said, "Do you think I'm going to get into MBA school?" They'd be like, "Absolutely not. There's no chance. Don't go right wasting like two grand on all these applications, whatever the case." But I think 
I think that's something, and it doesn't just happen when you're coming out of high school or coming out of uni or grad school or your PhD or go, you know, coming out. It happens our whole lives, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a battle, and it's like it's 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 so funny that we are waiting so often for other people to choose us instead of us choosing ourselves. Yeah. It's just bizarre. I define. I always say. I always say, don't let the world define you. And with my story. Um, Obviously, you know, we, we talked a little bit before I got yeah. him, but you, you know, you grow up in two military dictatorships, you come to this country, then you think you're going to change the world because at, since 10, you knew that you were going to do that. And then when you come here, you apply to 85 jobs and they all say no because you're too young, you don't have the visa. And then you take this random job and then there's a near death experience. And then after that near death experience, you're like, I'm just going to do everything. And so I, I applied to MBA schools as well and all of them, said no, except like one or two. And then the one of them gave me a conditional accept. They basically said I could only take two classes. Amazing. So I was like, I'm just moving to New York based on that conditional accept. And they told me that I could only take two classes because they wanted to see if I could do well. I mean, I had good right. grades in my undergrad, but my um, GMAT was low. And so I just took, I applied for five classes anyway because I just break rules. <laughs> and then um, I got I got a 3.8 3.8 GPA and she was so mad at me. She said, we only told you to take two classes. And I said, but I got a 3.8. And then they, <laughs> they lifted the, 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 the uh, conditional accept. But it was interesting for me because it was so much of a leap to go to the most expensive city in the world um, yeah. on a conditional accept and it sort of just put lay all the chips. And that's why I relate a lot to your story. Even when, you know, J Jennifer had pitched it, um, I was, I went through your, your bio and I was like, man, there's just, you know, like against all conventional odds, you would not be the person that people would say would be the successful, but you, you keep breaking the mold with every level that you go. And I, I identify with stories like that so much. Man, two things I got to say on that. And for everyone listening, I like, you know, the first one is a very Canadian expression and uh, it's for this guy. His name is Wayne Gretzky. He's a hockey player. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky. Okay. And so Wayne talks about, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. And growing up as a kid, I was always like, you know, Wayne's on to something. You do miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And the, and the second piece of that, though, is, is I think what's really given me a lot of agency to make some of these decisions to do these things, which is one day I was sitting around and I was thinking, like, what do I really want to be? What is it about me that I feel that I'm not living, you know? Yeah. And the word exceptional came up and it really kind of stuck. And I thought, you know what, if I want to be exceptional, by definition, being exceptional requires you to be an exception to the rule. Mm. Oh, you know, preach. so you got to break the rules. You have to say, this is the rule. I'm standing outside of that and doing something else. So hearing you tell that story about breaking the rules is like so on point, man. <laughs> That's the game. It's like. And it's like, you know, I, rule followers will make it places. I'll yeah. tell you what, they totally do. Um, because, but the, but here's the challenge though, right? So you can make it real far following rules, but at some point you have to write your own. And yeah. that's where a lot of people who are successful, like they got straight A's that, you know, they're like the golden child, but then they step out of that hoop jumping system where people stop tapping on the shoulder and saying, okay, now you do this and then you do this and here's what's good and here's what we want. And you get into the great wide open where, frankly, no one other than like your folks and your best friend really care about what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And it's up to you to call the shots and people struggle terribly because, uh, you know, 
the smart hoop jumping monkey only makes it so far. No, I, I mean, I, I'm not kidding when I say I, I, I truly relate with your story because when I had that near-death experience, the first thing that came to mind was, have you done everything you said you were going to do? Mm. Uh, and I couldn't answer that with a yes. And then I remember reading something about you and you said that this, this Steve Jobs quote is, is possibly is something that really means it's meaningful to you in the sense that I think he said, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Back. Something like that. Yeah. And, and then I, I remember. And then I, could you talk about why but that I is did so that. meaningful? You yeah. know, I did do that. I lived someone else's life for, for quite some time because I wanted – the truth is I think a lot of us do. We want to be liked. We want to be um, kind of in the inner circle. And for me growing up, there was there was an expectation that, you know, I'd get my undergrad and I'd do – and I'd pursue science and this – kind of thing. And so I, I wanted my parents to tell me that I was good enough. And effectively, to me, that translated into get your undergrad in the science. And that means you're worth something, you know, do this. And that means that you're valuable or useful or whatever the case, people will love you more, the, the more straight A's you get. And, um, and so I spent a lot of time trying to do what I thought people expected me to do, you know, even after I won Canada's top female entrepreneur it was like one of the lowest times in my life, because I didn't want to do what I was doing anymore. But how does it sound when you're like, I'm on top of the world, but on the inside, I'm like, I feel dead and hollow and I don't want to do it. Um, And I was living kind of this life, this caricature that I had created of a person that I knew that people would like and approve of and that is uh, in society very valuable, right? Yeah. Um, So talk to us more about that. When did you start? When did you break the plateau? and start experiencing yeah 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 so I, I did it three times oh. and i think i think this is it i mean i think this is the modern era right it's not that you go to school you graduate you get a job you have that job for 50 years i mean we all know that doesn't happen anymore right so there are multiple reinventions if you're actually driven if you have ambition you will find that there are multiple reinventions in your lifetime because we just live so damn long and there are so many opportunities that if you're curious person who's wired up for success, you're more than likely to pivot a couple times. Not you'd get bored doing the same thing, right? Yeah. So after my undergrad, um I started working construction in, in coffee shops and it was really the first time where I kind of let it all hang out. I was like, I'm not gonna identify as this type of person that everyone wants me to be. I'm just actually gonna be like a hippie. I'm gonna live in the islands. I'm going to chill out. I'm going to like, and I, I, I kind of checked out actually, but there was a large part of me that wanted to just say like, screw the system. I'm going the anti-system because I'd tried to be what everyone else wanted me for so long. So I went entirely the other way. I did that for a while and I loved it. But then at a certain point, like I remember the day I actually woke up and I, I broke up with this guy I'd been living with for three years. And he said, why? And I said, this isn't my life. This isn't my whole future life. It doesn't start here. It goes somewhere else from here, you know? Uh, and so I moved to Vancouver. I was and um, applied to do my MBA. And then after I did my MBA, I became a consultant, as all good MBAs do. And uh, <laughs> I did that for a while. And the same thing happened, although this time I, I stuck with the fellow I was living with. I'm still married to that guy. It was the best decision we both ever made. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, I remember waking up and being like, I'm going to die in here. There's no air in this life. 
this is not, yeah, everybody thinks this is amazing. I'm making tons of money. It looks good on paper, but it's not my life. It was an era. I, I learned some things. I needed to do this, but I'm pivoting. And then I just did it again after I won those awards and um, had built these a few businesses up. And, and uh, like I said, like I felt I was uninspired. Um, and there's a point when you master something where you're no longer making choices, you're just making decisions. And I, I, anybody who heard that and it kind of resonated with them will get this, but I'll explain it in a bit more detail. So when you're, when you haven't yet mastered something, every decision requires emotion and insight and it's curious. And if you're driven and ambitious, there's pursuit to it, right? Yeah. Once you get so good at a thing that when stuff pops up, you just know the way to go forward. You know the answer already. You don't have to like muddle through all these options. You're like, yeah, well, the next thing we do should be that. Um, for the driven and ambitious, that becomes like ridiculously boring. So you're you're at a state of mastery and everybody's like, you're on top of the world and you yourself are just sucking for air. Just anything that lights you up again, you know? It's, I often describe it, it's like the missionary sex of your career. It's like, it counts, but it's hardly memorable, <laughs> you know? And so everyone's like, you're on top, you're amazing, you have millions of dollars, and you're like, yeah, uh, that's pretty good. But I'd like to do something that makes me feel alive again. And, uh, and I think those reinvention moments, and I think everyone at some point, if they're honest with themselves, will say they had it. Everyone who's successful and, and, and pursued something with, with lust and vigor will have found themselves, I think, at that place where they go, okay, what's next? This is done. I've done enough of this. I don't need any more of this, you know? That's, man, it's, it's, it's so profound. So the first plateau you crossed was that. Mm. Um, what about the second and third? I mean, they were all kind of reflective in the same way, it's a bit like um, it's uh, it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I, I think other people see it before you see it coming, you know. And the second and third were a bit different. The first one, everyone knew I was going to freak out because everyone knew I wasn't the person I was living at, you know, my my closest friends and that. Um, but the latter two we're way more public, you know? So when you get to be big enough, you know, like yourself, so I can Google you and I can read pages about you and this and that. And in my story, I had started winning all these global awards and I was speaking at like the global entrepreneurship Congress and doing all, you know, sitting on these councils, with prime minister and doing all these big, super visible things. And it's not super popular at that point to say, you know what? And I'm going to do something else. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Like everyone's like, you're insane. You spent all this time building up this career and this life. Why would you ever leave it? And, and it, it, it dawned on me and I spent some time trying to understand it. And this is, this is something I'm really um, connected to at the moment is this idea of, and you did talked about it in the intro, surviving your success. And, and sometimes if you're wired up as a driven and ambitious person, the real joy is in the pursuit. It's just so much fun to be winning. But when your opponent 
is no longer equally matched, it's not a win, is it? No. You know? And so I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves, where we, when we have capacity and ability, we go along, we're killing it, and then we get to the top of that thing and go, okay, what am I going to do next? And so here's the thing, though. This is, this, is the, this is the big what if, you know? People get there, and I talk about this with, like, Fortune 500 CEOs or people starting out who've just finished their undergrads, whatever the case may be. It's the same conversation. How do I get unfunked? Like, how do I get out of this funky, stinky, mediocre lull of a, like, default future that I'm stuck in? You know, how do I come to life again? Have you ever felt that way, like yourself, when you went along and you were killing it and then you reached a place and you're like, something else? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so when I first came to America, a lot of times that's considered success if you're a foreigner, especially if you're from, you know, several continents, because for a lot of the world, America sometimes is seen as a Mecca. So... And I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest of three boys. And so ever since I was a kid, I've always, you know, it's, I'm the guy that people are looking for, you know, looking up to. And mm. so, you know, you graduate, you know, I got a three, six, you know, so I, I, you know, publicizing the fact that 85 people said no to me. It took me a while to say that. I didn't even, I never said that because I was like, people would think I'm really successful. I don't want to to break that myth. So yeah, when I got that first job, I remember um, you know, that was after I somehow convinced someone that had given me an internship before to, to say, hey, could you file? <laughs> could you take a chance on me? I mean, I tried. Yeah. And so I got that. And then I remember I was calling my mom and dad. And the way I pitched it was like, mom, dad, I got a job in America. And I didn't say any of the other stuff. And they're like, yeah, our son, Akitayas, done it. You got team in, 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 in America. Look at team. And it was, <laughs> they were celebrating. And so then there's that added pressure because they made it public, you know, and everywhere. And so when I had that near-death experience, it was me going to that same place of work. It was a car accident. And I remember asking myself that question. Have you done everything you said you were going to do? And mm. I knew then that I was going to quit my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I knew yeah. I, it, it wasn't. And, it, it, and it's, if you have a lot of uh, Nigerian friends, they'll tell you education is a premium. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, you're mm-hmm. supposed to be a lawyer, engineer, doctor, all that. And I, I, I you know, I had the only, my only lifeline to the United States was the H-1B visa, right? And so I was hey. like, um, no, I'm going to quit this job. <laughs> I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to do something crazy and move to New York City and figure it out. So I was essentially coming down in status. And right. Yeah. It took me that, but it didn't take, it took me a while though. It, I had sort of lived this 
weird life like you have a job in america so that's a good thing considered as a nigerian here you, you break the odds but i wasn't doing anything i was happy with and when i did that i quit the job and freaked everyone in my family out um i felt free but it took a yeah. while for me to get there it took me almost two years for me to admit that to myself so yeah i definitely understand what you're saying yeah um, man yeah. it takes some time yeah. um so here's what are you cool if we do like a little exercise absolutely Okay, jamming. We didn't talk about this, so I'm not, we're going outside the bounds. Uh, you can edit this out if it sucks. But if, embracing if, the untraditional, <laughs> like you say. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> always outside of the boundaries. Okay, so and everyone can play along. So anyone listening can do it too. Okay, cool. Cool. Here's what we're going to do, and what I'm what I'm illustrating is the point of how you break out of that place, that funky place that took you two years to do. It took me a year and a half to do. It takes a lot of people a lot of time because. Uh, as successful people, we don't like to feel unsuccessful or right. stuck. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard to admit that and move through it. So here we go. So, um, so think about something and you don't have to answer this out loud. Think okay. about something that you know, like something you know really well. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Now think about something that you remember. Okay. Got it. Okay. Now this is a part where I am a mind reader. Um, so the thing that you know, could it be taught? Like, could you teach someone that thing? Uh, teach, I was thinking, I don't know. I was thinking of, like, I know sports a lot, but I don't know. I guess I could teach people about yeah, okay. the, the mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's great. Um, so this idea that everything that can be taught prescriptively, right? Like yeah. if, then, and then. You could, you know, da da da. It can be programmed. Oh. So all of our, all of our kind of accumulated knowledge that is things we know that we hang our hats on, called our educations, um, oh. is being commoditized. That's just kind of factual. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but that's what's happening. It's the truth. It's the truth. Uh, so that's a real bummer for a lot of us who spent years at school. But in any event. Um, so let's talk about what separates me from any other given guy then, because now my MBA is basically a commodity at the level which, with which I expect to be operating. So that thing is those th the things we remember, right? Right. Now, the thing you remember, I'm going to guess, so imagine all of our minds like a library and there's shelves, high to low and left to right, yeah? Mm -hmm. So that's your, that's your mind and you stock different things on your mental shelves, cool? And the things that we pick up, pick up quickest off our mental shelves, let's call those the things that are like at eye level. Those are the things most accessible, okay? So um, I'm going to guess that the thing that you remembered, it, uh, it had an emotional tag. So you were either full of fear or lust or love or hate or envy or angst or something, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next thing is, it's something that couldn't be repeated the exact same way twice. Huh. Yeah. Sorry, I'm stumping you. Is that true? Yeah. No. This is this is this is good. Yeah. You are. I'm messing with your head, my friend. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. And the third thing is, you shared that with another human being, either in that you did it with the human. Yeah. You know, they were with you or afterwards you shared it through storytelling eye to eye with a human being, not like Instagram, or Facebook or Snap or something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I know it blows people's minds.
So here is, and and this is what I figured out for myself because I spent all this time trying to figure out what is it that makes me truly exceptional and be able to repeat this exceptional performance no matter if it's when I did the first turnaround or the second turnaround or this third turnaround. Why do, why do I have like the Midas touch for my own life? And what it came down to was I put some value in the knowledge thing, right? Uh-huh. This commoditized piece. But I put a lot of value in the experience thing. And as it turns out, I have a lot more books on my mental shelves than a lot of people do. So I have a higher opportunity to solve problems more quickly with more challenging outcomes, with more diverse things to draw from, right? Yeah. You're going to make the best anything the more ingredients you have to pull from. So what happens is the older we get, the less we experience new things. We don't engineer strategically these events in our lives that have high emotion that could never be repeated the exact same way twice, and we don't share it with another human being. Hmm. We just stop doing it the same way we used to. This is crazy. Um, um, I know we're getting pretty deep here, but but that's the truth of the matter. So what I started to do was every day I'm like, right on, okay, let's let's mess this let's mess this shit up. Uh, I'm gonna put myself in an uncomfortable position every single day where I where I force an emotion, mm. and I just started doing it every single day with small things, even like going into some hipster coffee joint and trying to pronounce some drink I never order and have everyone judge me because I'm like a 40 year old mother. Um, small right low risk but I felt something I'll never do that again and and it reminded me that I am in a position of choice back to that difference between decision and choice yeah I'm choosing every single thing I do every single day and I had lost that and we do when we get into a place of mastery we lose the sense of personal choice in every single thing yeah and so the point kind of coming all the way back to like what makes you exceptional it's that it, it are, it's those exceptions to the rule, yeah. but it's being able to understand how to strategically engineer them that takes an average lifetime and 10 times it. So you can do this re uh, this recreation, this re enlivenment, this like kind of like the 2.0 in a much shorter period of time with, with absolutely transformational results. That's that's so, I mean, I, I see why, you know, you make the big bucks, but this is, <laughs> this is fascinating. Yeah, I, I don't, and it's interesting. I don't, I don't do a similar ex- exercise. Actually, I do do a similar exercise, but what I try to do on a daily basis, since, you know, growing up the way I did, I was always a minority everywhere I did, and I had to learn how to communicate across cultures. I always engineer communication opportunities with strangers on a daily basis. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and... And I have this wisdom journal where I just write down, you know, things I overhear. And, you know, it's New York on the bus, whatever. Yeah. And I'm always like, okay, so how would I have solved that? How would I have solved that? And I say, you know, I try to put a smile on five strangers' people, five strangers' faces every day. So mm-hmm. it involves communicating with people. And then on the on the learning aspect, I'm always reading uh, books on culture and communicating. But I never, well, until you said that, I never really, you know, I wasn't thinking. I was doing that. I was just sort of, that was the process is always something that I've always loved doing because um, I'm fascinated with the way people communicate and the way people develop emotional intelligence. And so I, I didn't break it down the way you did. I, it's just, it's interesting when you, you had me go through the exercise. That's what I kept thinking of. I was like, man, I actually sort of, 
I do something similar is, you know, I just, I try to put that in my daily basis. Yeah. So. And so if you, if you took it the next step further and then you had like a a jam session with a friend of yours, you know, once a month where you're going to talk about the stuff, these encounters and be like, man, I saw this guy in the bus. It was, you shouldn't, you would have not believed it. And he was this and that. And I said this to him or whatever case. And what that's going to do is that can, that's going to help embed that. So you don't have to look in your book Mm. and when, you know, Mm. and then over time you, uh, you just have those things at the ready. And, and I don't know if, if you've ever had this, but I'm sure you do. People say, how do you think that way? Yeah. Yeah. People say it all the time. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Because it's, it's people like you and like me and people who do this type of a practice that people can't understand how we think that way. And it's not because we're, you know, I would love to say it's because we're particularly brilliant, but it's not. It's just because we have a whole lot more unique experiences that logged at eye level on our mental shelves. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Even that's even why I do a lot of the podcasts because it's it's an opportunity for me to pick a break. You know, some people don't like talking. I like talking. Yeah. <laughs> but I like asking questions. And asking mm-hmm. questions it's like um you know you, you said you said things can be commoditized and a lot of you know communication and all these things uh can be but this is a, an interesting way for me to sort of learn from different people. It's like my curriculum on a daily basis. And, I, you know, I, I, love, I love that exercise. And, you know, to even go further along with this, on your, you have a, a spot on your website where you say breaking rules. You say popular is a distraction if you want to be exceptional. The mm. expected never becomes the exception. You must be an exception to the rule to be exceptional. And then you ask, what rule do you plan on breaking today? And... I have a mission statement, which I, I built my whole company around and my whole foundation of, which is use your difference to make a difference. Oh, I um, like it. Thank you so much. And, and that, that's, I'm going to ask you, I always ask my guests that at the end of the, of the interview, but it was when I developed that mission statement that I sort of, I guess, inadvertently did what you do on a daily basis. I just sort of engineered my life to sort of always be in that continuous learning mode about the thing that I'm passionate about. And, um, and that, that for me, when I started to do that, it really stripped away my, you know, inferiority complex I had around not being old enough, having the right experience and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's an interesting thing that you, that people can experience once they become intimate with who they are, their skills, and then they just create a habit of not forgetting who they are and how they can use their skills. Uh, it's an interesting thing that happens with you or your business. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, I think one of the greatest gifts we can have is recognizing our total and unparalleled insignificance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but I, I mean that genuinely in that, like you had a, a near death moment. I had cancer, whatever the case may be. And in that split second, you recognize that I am, but you know, a bunch of cells lumping around on a blue marble floating in the middle of intergalactic space. And it's highly unlikely that I myself will be remembered in any meaningful way outside of potentially for maybe two generations and unlikely beyond that. And the ultimate freedom that that gave me um, to release myself from the sense of ego that I'm that I'm responsible for knowing everything all the time. Mm. Yeah. It allowed me to go back to this place of being open to being a student of all things at all times. Even if I'm an expert, like even though, you know, I do know a little bit about a few things, um, the truth of the matter is 
there's always something to be learned or challenged if you're open to to recognizing that there is you know there is no oracle of all knowledge and it's just such a it's such an asinine thing for us to hold us to the standard of having it figured out yeah. and the and the freedom that comes with being okay with not having it figured out is something that I think unanimously unlocks the next level of success for a tremendous number of people. Wow, 100%. And, and you, you made a, a comment about that, the, I guess, connecting the thread with your experience of cancer and my near-death experience. Yeah. Was there something you learned about yourself when mm -hmm. you got diagnosed? Yeah, you know what? It's funny. I don't know. That's funny. That's odd that no one's ever asked me that question. Um, yes! <laughs> well Sorry, done, that's like the question every every interviewer wants to get. No one's ever asked that question. Touche. Um, I love it. <laughs> you know what? Well, it's because it's you. You phrased it in a different way. Um, no, no, I, I know. It's it's a. I went as a badge of honor because I, that means that means yeah. no one's ever asked that question. <laughs> it's great. I mean, a lot of people have said, "What did you learn from having cancer, or whatever the case?" But what did you learn about yourself? Um, yeah, so it's not a becoming thing, actually, to admit, but I'm happy to admit it. I learned that I thought I that I had I thought that I was a lot more selfish and self-involved, mm. um, which it turned out. So when I got diagnosed with cancer, all I could think about was everyone else, and it actually was a bit frustrating because I thought, why are you not concerned about the fact that you are more than likely going to die? And you're concerned about everyone else. Um, what's going to happen to my children, my husband, and, you know, all this kind of thing. Yeah. And so what I learned about myself was I was a lot more selfless than I thought. Um, and, uh, and, and I learned, I, I learned that, you know, this glorious experience of, of being absolutely nothing, um, which which I think what I learned about myself in that kind of instant was, um, I, I I'm capable of both ends of the extreme, which is um, absolute joy and elevation and and pursuit and and absolute um, nothingness at the same time. And it sounds a bit like cryptic, but what I what I mean to say is um, it's at any given moment, I am all of my best and all of my worst self. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And, you know, and um, and it's it's back to this point of choosing how we spend our days floating around on the blue marble, yeah. you know, choice, choice. Man, uh, well, so so we've talked about breaking the rules, embracing the untraditional, um, even some about surviving success, which I'm I'm going to dive in a little bit later before we close. But I I, I just want you to touch on navigating with purpose and what yeah. the difference um, that is with passion. You know, what's the difference mm -hmm. of passion and purpose for you? Mm. Yeah, it's funny. So this this conversation is like a popular kind of conversation in our modern era about like passion and purpose and what have you. Um, I'm a bit of a Grinch on the subject, so there would be probably a lot of people who are like that woman sucked. Um, <laughs> I doubt because it. I think so. You're familiar potentially with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. Yes. Um, so I think that 
in the Western world, we're afforded this luxury of having, generally speaking, a, a place to sleep, um, a safe environment to live, uh, food to eat, the opportunity for employment, opportunity to educate ourselves, etc. Um, so we have the great privilege of talking about things like purpose and passion. For a vast majority of people who inhabit the planet, they do not have that. That conversation is um, flagrant, right? It's, it's, uh, it's self-involved and it, it's not particularly useful. So when I think about that, I think about my entrepreneurial journey and the fact that at more times than not, I was not in a position to pursue passion or uh, purpose in any kind of meaningful way because I had to pay my rent and my bills and eat food. Um, and so I think that there's this idea that we're supposed to start out with this deep, deep revolutionary knowledge of who we are at such a young age that we're going to connect to our life's purpose. And I think it's misguided and unfair because I think it's only through experience that we come to understand who it is that we are and what it is that will drive in us a passion that's going to withstand, you know, the challenging moments, which are most of them. And so when I talk about this, I usually talk about the difference between lust and love. So lust is convenient and it's hot and heavy. Uh, and as soon as something inconvenient comes along, it's gone. Mm. Love is a much more challenging pursuit. Um, and it takes longer. And so the reason we date a lot of people and we have all these lusty affairs and so on and so forth when we're starting out is because we have to gain enough experience that we're capable of the true experience of love, which is I'm willing to endure the shit because you actually are someone transformational for me and whatever the case may be, but you don't know that on the first go, do right, you? Right, we don't. And so I think the conversation around passion and purpose applies most to the people who have had the opportunity to have had their behind kicked a lot, um, who have tried and failed, who've gone through a number of iterations of trying to figure themselves out, figure out their business. Uh, to, only then, I think, can you say, I, my passion is this, my purpose is this. Before that, I think it's a fool's pursuit. And here's why I think it's important for me to take this contrarian perspective is that there are a huge number, like a sick number of people who are millennials or younger, who have so much capacity, who are just absolutely brilliant people, emotionally intelligent, street book smarts, whatever, but they're waiting for their aha moment. Mm. They're waiting for this moment where they're like, that is my life's purpose. That is my passion. That is my purpose. That is whatever. Um, and they're waiting for, you know, the Nirvana moment when the sky parts and a ray comes down and it strikes them. And, that is not how it happens. It's not, it happened, yeah. Experience a lot of times is, is under 
It's an evolution. It, yeah. it, it can dawn on you that way. It can dawn on you that way. But it's an evolution through experiences that at some point you go, I get it. I got the memo. Thank you. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, a lot of times it's even something that we never, maybe we've run away from. We didn't think we, mm. we would be in, but it just keeps happening. And you're like, fine. <laughs> am I, am <laughs> totally. I just, yeah. Because it's an experience, you know. Because people never really, for me, I, I used to be, I don't know what ever believes it. I used to be very shy. But <laughs> uh, now I'm quite talkative, especially. But, um, you know, it, it, I had to like, ex- exercise some form of bravery and sort of get out of that com- comfort zone that I had created where I said, well, other people are doing it. I don't need to do it. And that came through experience a lot of times. Yeah. You yeah. know what? I think a lot of us spend, it's, it's interesting you say that. I was just last night with a bunch of people having the same conversation about in many cases, our life's work is our life's problem. Yeah. Yep. You know, like people go out to solve and serve their former self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so that is so good. I, if if I'm de- applying that to myself, my problem growing up was how do I figure out how to navigate across all these differences and make friends and and build relationships because I'm always moving and I don't understand how to exist in, in a world where there's all these military dictatorships. And then now mm-hmm. what I do is helping people know how to communicate their true self, but also how to create environments where people from different backgrounds can survive. It's essentially my whole life. So totally didn't, totally. didn't plan that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, but isn't it yeah. a gift though? Isn't it a gift that our strife becomes our success? It is amazing. Um, and it's a mindset. It's such a mindset shift because a lot of times when we're experiencing those problems, we never think that we are the problem solvers. Mm. We're just like, ah, someone, help, <laughs> someone can please, can you come help us fix this? This is, this is painful and all that. But whenever, you know, I always, I get asked, how did I get started? I said, it always starts from a moment of pain for me because I ended up creating a solution where I would be the guy that solves that pain point of mine. And out mm-hmm. of that, I sort of built a, an audience and out of building that audience, uh, people started to gravitate towards that. I don't think a lot of people um, really understand the power they have within themselves to become the problem solvers to their own painful moments. And, um, totally. Yeah. Perfectly said. Huh. Well, I mean, I, I could talk all day, but I, I, have to, I, have to, I have to respect the time and wrap up. So I wanted to do two quick things. Can you talk about okay. what, what success means to you? Because you talk about surviving success. Um, and then where can people find you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, success has meant a lot of different things to me over time. So I'm not going to go through the evolution of all the different things I thought success was about at different stages of my life. But I will say, um, every day when I go to bed, as long as I feel like I gave more than I took and I connected deeply and intimately with someone in a meaningful way, that was a successful day. Um, because I like to measure them that way. Uh, I'm in the fortunate position that a lot of the other metrics don't necessarily matter on the margin anymore, you know, in the same way that they used to. So um, because, like I say, you know, our, our trip around this little marble can be snuffed out at any time. So measuring how, you know, it's the old how you spend your days is how you spend your life. So did I have a successful day? That's how I like to think about it. Wow. Uh, 
and people can people can hook up with me. Um, I hang out over on Instagram at Kelsey Ramsden and on Twitter at Kelsey Ramsden. And you can hit me up on my site, Kelsey at KelseyRamsden.com. Wow, Kelsey Ramsden everywhere on Instagram on our site, KelseyRamsden.com. Um, I really loved hanging out with you for the last hour. This has been, you know, I said we we're going to have a conversation, but, uh, you know, these are my favorite type of conversations because you really educated me in a lot of things and it was it was it was uh fun just uh picking your brain for this hour but um before i go i have to ask yeah. you this question this is a question i ask all my guests before we close yeah. you already know my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference so how do you kelsey use your difference to make a difference yeah great how do i use my difference to make a difference i think i think at the end of the day i give people agency to be exceptional I remind them that it's their choice, you know, to break a rule every day. Yeah. And yeah, that's how I did it. You know, back to the meta effect. That's how I did it. So that's what I help people do. Well, that is the epitome of using your difference to make a difference by giving people agency to do the same. So um, we're, we're we're like in like inception world here, a world within a world and within a world. So. Uh, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Uh, you know, I'll definitely make sure we put all the things that you're up to in the show notes. And I really, really appreciate you spending time with us and the audience. Uh, it's been a treat. And I'm sure we learned a lot. Oh, thanks, Tyler. It has been. No problem. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.